Good morning, everyone. It's a good day. Even with all the snow, it's a good day. Can we just thank it's a good day because it's Easter and we're going to celebrate anyways. I, I want to ask you a question this morning right off the bat. How many of you, where were you, if you remember this, where were you at 10.56 p.m. Eastern Time, July 20th, 1969? I was three years old. Um, it's funny. I turned 56 this past week, and someone in the first service said, Pastor, how old are you? So I had the audacity to say, guess, because that could hurt. That could hurt. And they said 42. So Carol and I are best friends now, and uh, I appreciate that. How many remember that date? If you're old enough, 1969, July 20th, 1056 p.m. Anyone? Are you serious? Somebody said, that's my birthday. I said, no, that's not what... How many remember, this is when man stepped on the face of the moon. Oh, now it's coming back. Everybody's got their senior moments. It's coming back. Um, what's interesting about this date, we, we know that Neil Armstrong put his left foot down on the lunar surface and, f- and famously declared, that's one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. And and there are what's interesting about the moon landing, this is such a huge American historical event in US history of landing on the moon. And what's interesting about this is we live in a very skeptical world and there are conspiracy theories about everything, aren't there? And there's actually conspiracy theories that we never landed on the moon. And of course, I like to watch those shows. And so I asked Kathleen's like, are you kidding me? Are you watching another conspiracy show? Like, are you watching the Bigfoot thing again? I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just fun to watch. Actually, a a joke my parents had, they put a Bigfoot silhouette made out of wood in our backyard. So it's like 50 yards out. So you actually look at it, you know, it kind of looks real. And the first time, I don't know where we were, but they put it out there. We came back from a trip and there was it. And it kind of scared me. I actually, uh, oh, what's that? And it was, and it's still there. If you want to see it, we have a silhouette of Bigfoot. But there's all these conspiracy theories. And there's actually conspiracy theory about us landing on the moon. I watched this documentary about the conspiracy theory. And it, it, it claims that it was a colossal hoax and the whole thing was staged. And, and it was looked to be as if we actually landed on the moon. But what amazes me is people actually believe this. In fact, they say is somewhere around 6 to 20% of Americans don't believe we landed on the moon. And as much evidence as we have, still many do not believe we landed on the moon. 400,000 people worked on the Apollo project for over 10 years. Basically, it would have been easier to land on the moon than for hundreds of thousands of people to keep a secret. At one point in our, uh, in our house, we had five people living in our house, and we couldn't keep a secret with five people. Can I get an amen, right? You just, uh, there's no way. So as incredible as the landing on the moon was, it, it, it really, if you think about it, it doesn't necessarily, we can believe it, but does it really change our lives? Now, you know, I, I believe man walked on the moon, and I have no reason not to believe that he walked on the moon, even with all the crazy conspiracies that are out there. But I want us to understand, I want to compare this to the resurrection of Christ. Because for me, we can believe in this great event in history, right? But does it personally change my life? Not so. None of you remembered even what the date was. Do you remember this famous date? Many of us just forgot what it was. But what makes Christianity 
utterly different from every other religious system. And I want you to understand this morning that Christianity hinges on the truth of the resurrection. Everything hinges on this truth. And so today what I want to look at is I want to look at the truth of the resurrection and what that means for us personally. And the question I want to ask you is can we believe in the resurrection and not have it actually change our lives? Can we believe in the resurrection and not have it change our lives? Because this is a good question. This is a good question. The, the resurrection is not to be seen as just a good story on the same level as the moon landing. Many people believe in Jesus and even maybe the resurrection, yet it doesn't necessarily change their lives. And this would be on the same level as maybe our belief in the moon landing. Why is the resurrection, why is the resurrection everything? Why does it matter? And more than just matters, how does it change your life personally? And not just some story, not just something we come to and we celebrate once a year and we hear about it. Maybe, yeah, I have a belief in Jesus. I believe he walked and yeah, maybe he raised, maybe he was raised from the grave. But, but how does that affect me personally? And that's what I want to look at today. The Apostle Paul makes this claim about the absolute importance of the resurrection. He addresses this church in Corinth. And, and the, the church had this question about what happens after we die. What actually happens? And what Paul will do is he will address the question of whether or not how important this is and, and why it's so important that we understand that one day we will be raised also just like Christ. And so what Paul does is he gives the reason why the resurrection is so important and why everything hinges on the resurrection of Christ. So as he's writing this letter to this church in Corinth, listen to what he says to their questions about what happens after we die. And listen, that's a question every single one of us need to ask ourselves. Many, many of us just avoid death. You know, many people say, I don't, I don't do funerals. I don't, I don't go to funerals because we don't want to face the reality. But how many of us know, I don't mean to be a downer, right? But how many of us know eventually we're going to die, right? I just Googled it this morning. The mortality rate, United States is 100%. Okay, it is. We're, we're all faced, I, I feel, I'm feeling it. How many of you feel, the older you get, right now my knee is killing me. And that's just from putting mulch in my front yard, okay? I mean, it's just, it's inevitable. We're growing older. Our bodies grow older. Death is in front of us. And so Paul says, we need to get this right. Because in order for us to get this right, and he wants to say this to those that are in this church and the questions they have, and you probably have the same questions, right? He wants us to get this right because this not when we get this right, it'll change the way you live your life. It'll change everything. It'll give you hope for a hopeless world. It will let you see beyond what we see here in this world with the evil and the things that happen around us. It can get so hopeless. But Jesus gives us a hope because when we look into the tomb, his body is no longer there. It's empty. And he wants to give that same hope to each and every one of us. So listen to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. This is imperative that we get this right, Paul is saying. And, and we apostles would be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Wow. Paul's saying this is important that we get this right. Verse 18, it says, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in, in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Everybody say, wow. Wow. I mean, Paul is, he's, Paul wants us to get this right. Notice what Paul says right, right away. Everything rises and falls on, on the understanding of the resurrection. And Paul says, you can't honestly believe about the resurrection and not have it change you. So their question is a good question. What happens after we die? Have you ever wondered that? And you need to ask yourself that question. What happens after we die? I mean, what happens right after we die? Do we, do we go into some soul sleep and then later we wake up with these new resurrected bodies? Do we sit on a cloud with angel's wings and play a harp like a Bugs Bunny cartoon? Actually, I found this really funny one here. It says, sorry, we're out of harps. That to me would be more like hell to have a tuba instead of a heart, right? So, I mean, is that, I mean, think about it. We're, we're sitting around all day with harps, and I mean, to me, it's like, that's kind of boring, right? So w- what happens after, after we die? Paul answers this question for them. He says, for those who put their hope in Christ, they will be with Christ. Paul says that to be absent from this body means to be present with the Lord, And what he does is later in chapter 15, he's going to share what happens with our bodies. What happens with our body? Because we see that sin has caused our bodies to decay. We get older and eventually we will die. And what the resurrection does, it gives us a hope that God one day will give us a glorified body that's not affected because of sin and death. That's our hope today. So what we see in Christ in the resurrection is we see him conquer death. And then when the apostles saw him ascended up into heaven, he went to sit at the right hand of the father. Jesus has a physical body. He's sitting in heaven and he wants to give us that same hope that even though you die, you will live. See, what separates us from a living God is our own sin. And Jesus came to bridge the gap in our relationship with God, we are separated from God because of our sin. We're all born that way. There's no way in our own strength, there's not enough good things you can do in your life ever to bridge that gap between you and a holy God. And so what what God does for you, he does something for you that you can't do for yourself. And what you can't do for yourself is save yourself. You can't do it. You can't, not enough good things that you could ever do to cover your sins. That's why God sent his son, who is perfect, who is God in every way, to be our substitute, to take on our sins, to die for our sins, and and allow us to have a right relationship with God for those who place their faith in Christ Jesus. And the gift from that is eternal life. See, this is the decision you need to make. You can just say, well, is that really a big deal? It is a big deal. Because God gave everything to reach us. And so there's this choice we make. We can either have an eternity without God separated and condemned. Or we can have this relationship with God through Christ Jesus that doesn't depend on me or anything I've done. Just simply my faith in Christ. Pleading 
the grace of God over my life saying, I'm not good enough, but you are Jesus. And that's what he asks of us and what he requires of us to come by faith and just believe that Jesus's works were enough to cover my sins. That's probably the best news you're going to hear all day, even if your ham is really good. But that's going to be the best news you're going to hear all day. And my prayer for you is that you would understand Jesus in that way, that he loves you, that he cares for you. It's not another religion. It's not another thing to come and weigh down on your life, more works. In fact, some of you are probably wondering, what is this up in the front wall, the, the cross with all the post-it notes? We had such a, if you were here on Friday and able to attend, we had such a wonderful Good Friday service, and we talked about the cross and, and what that means. And um, so people just put on sticky notes what the cross means to them. And then we, we came up front and we, we, we put all our sticky notes on the cross. And I was looking at this morning, and I love what one person put what the cross means to them. They said, because of the cross, I'm not defined by my sin, but my identity is in Jesus. Beautiful. Whoever wrote that, good job. Good job. We're not defined by our past any longer or our sin when we are in Christ Jesus. And that's what he accomplishes for us. So Paul answers this question for him. Later on in 15, Paul shares some insight into the future of our bodies. And this is the good news. Listen to what he says. He says, what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what, is, what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will be in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed from our dying bodies must be transformed into the bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ conquered the sting of death. Because when we look at death, we look at it as, as a final thing. But when we look into the empty tomb, we see it is empty. It is not final. It is not dark. But when we look into the empty tomb, what we say is there's life and life eternal through Christ Jesus. So death does not have its final say over your life when we are in Christ Jesus. So there will come a day, just like the resurrection of Christ, where we will be changed into our new resurrected bodies. So I just have a, a couple requests for my new resurrected body. I would love to be six foot eight, right? I'd love that. Never hit six foot. I tell you this all the time. Two boys hit over six foot, six one, six two, and I got stuck at 5'11", so I'm, I'm a little bitter about that. And, uh, and can I just look like Michael Phelps? Hopefully I won't look like a hobbit, but I would love to look like Michael Phelps. Um, but listen, those living at that time, will be transformed into these immortal bodies, and those who have died will take on immortality. That's the hope that we have. So when we look at the resurrection, we have this hope that we will be transformed, that what we see now is not eternal. So Paul says, don't put your hope in what you see now. Put your hope in for what I already conquered and accomplished for you. And so without the resurrection of Christ, we would have no hope. So the proof that Christ's death was sufficient to cleanse us from our sins and give us eternal life, what proves that lies in the fact of the resurrection. 
that Jesus indeed was who he said he was. The resurrection proves his divinity that God gave his life for us. So it's more than just a good man dying on a cross for us. It's actually God himself who gave his life for you and I so that we could find life again. So this is what's so important, and this is what Paul is trying to reiterate. Paul tells his listeners, you can't believe in the resurrection of Christ and not believe we will one day be transformed or resurrected. You have to get this right, that we're going to be transformed. We're going to have glorified bodies. And so the resurrection is the hope that all things will be made new. And that's what, you know, having that thought, doesn't that help you kind of traverse through this world? When we get down and we look at the hopelessness many times of the things that we see in this world, knowing that God is going to make all things new gives us that hope to traverse through the hopelessness that we can tend to see in our world today. And what we see is we see this death and decay are the results of sin, but the hope of the resurrection is that we will not be subject to death and decay any longer. And that's what Jesus did for us through his resurrection and ascension. What sin robbed us of has been conquered through Christ Jesus. So Paul is adamant about the resurrection. In fact, he's so adamant about the resurrection that he tells his listeners in the same chapter that Jesus appeared to 500 other people. And he said, if you don't believe me, go ask them. They saw it too, and their lives have been changed. So why is the resurrection imperative and not just informational? We have to look at it so much more than it's just information or a story because the resurrection actually should transform our lives. It should transform the way we live every single day. I love this story um, that we see in the Gospel of John. And Jesus has this interaction with Martha, and Lazarus has just died. And they gave word to tell Jesus, hey, Lazarus has died. Come, come, you, you can help. And Jesus purposely waited. So Lazarus is dead. He's in his grave clothes. He's buried. They're all mourning. They're crying. And finally, Jesus comes, and they hear that he's coming, and Martha goes out to meet him. The exchange that Martha and Jesus have will change your life. The words that Jesus gives to Martha will change your life if you believe them. will take your hopelessness and will give you hope. It'll change everything about the way you live your life, the way you look at your life, and the way you look at eternity. I want you to see what Jesus does for Martha. This is incredible. So this is before he raises Lazarus from, from the dead. So we know that he's sick. Jesus finally comes. Martha hears that Jesus is coming, and she runs to meet him. And look at their dialogue. I love this. Look at what they say. John 11 records it for us here. She says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. He's talking about the resurrection. He's going to rise again. Now, he's going to, he's going to resurrect his body in just a few minutes. But Martha answers him, and I'll talk about the theological significance here. Martha answers him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last days. So she's thinking about some future event, the resurrection. She believes in it. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he answered this question, do you believe this? Jesus makes it personal. 
He doesn't say, hey, in just a moment, I'm going to raise your brother, and then you can believe me because you're going to see this great miracle before your eyes. He didn't want her to trust some future event. He wanted to trust him right now. So what he's asking for us is, do you trust me? I'm the resurrection and the life. I will transform your life by having a relationship with you. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She places her faith in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Have you done that? I'm not saying if you grew up in church or you went to an Easter service because you were offered a beautiful ham dinner after, so you were bribed to come to church. Let me ask you a question. That's what Jesus requires of us. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection of life? And by putting your faith in Christ, will change your life forever. will change your life forever. See, I want you to notice something in Martha's response. She believed in the resurrection to come in the end times. Her belief in this future resurrection aligned with Jewish Pharisees and what they taught. So she correctly believed this. However, teaching that someone would be resurrected right now would be crazy. Like to think that Jesus be resurrected and ascended into heaven, they wouldn't believe that that could happen right now. That would be completely ludicrous. It would, it would be more than just someone who was revived, who was brought to life again like Lazarus, but he would eventually die. But for someone to be resurrected and live forever and be ascended to heaven like Jesus would do would be out of their mind. They would not think that would be true. It would be ludicrous. The Jews were completely skeptical of a person being resurrected. What changed for the early disciples and many to give their lives for Christ. What changed? For, why did the early apostles give their lives for the sake of Jesus? Because of this fact of the resurrection. They witnessed Jesus. They witnessed his ascension. They witnessed Christ after his resurrection, and the proof of the resurrection overcame their doubts. Jesus proved who he was. And so I want you to understand this. Our belief in Jesus and who he is is authenticated by what he did. He just didn't say it. He proves it to us. Um, I really enjoy Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an atheist who became a follower of Jesus. In fact, he was an investigative reporter. His, his, the way he came to, to Christ and to become a follower of Christ is pretty, pretty interesting. But he was going out to try to disprove Christianity and the claims of Christianity and the claims of the resurrection. And as he was going out to disprove it, he saw that there was so much evidence that pointed towards Jesus and who he was that he actually became a follower of Jesus. And he wrote many books like Case for Christ. He just came out with a new book called The Case for Heaven, The Case for Faith. I would, if you're searching and wanting to know more about Christ and the evidence for Christ, man, I would recommend these books. These are great, great books. But I just wanted to show you a short video on the proof of the resurrection that Lee Strobel gives. And I, and I pray you will, I, I pray this helps you to understand how uh, true it is in this event that truly happened, that we can trust Jesus and that he truly is who he says he is. Go ahead and look at the screens for just a moment. I like to look at the evidence for the resurrection in four categories. The first one is, did Jesus die on the cross? Was he dead? 
Virtually every scholar on planet Earth concedes that Jesus was dead after crucifixion. We have no record of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Uh, even the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, published a peer-reviewed scientific medical study of the evidence for the death of Jesus and said clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Even the atheist New Testament scholar Gerd Ludemann says historically it's indisputable that Jesus was dead. So Jesus was dead. The second category of evidence is the early accounts we have for the resurrection. In other words, I used to think as an atheist that the resurrection was a legend and that took a long time to develop in the ancient world. But what I learned is that we have preserved for us a creed of the earliest Christian church, a creed that is a eyewitness-based report of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this creed has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus. Within months. That is historical gold. So we've got a newsflash from ancient history on the resurrection. Third category of evidence is the empty tomb. And the best evidence for that is even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty. Because when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, well, um, the disciples stole the body. Now they're conceding the tomb's empty. They're just trying to explain how it got empty. So everybody's conceding the tomb was empty. How did it get empty is really the issue. And that goes to the fourth category of evidence, which is eyewitnesses. You know, for most of what we know about ancient history, it comes from one or maybe two sources of information. And yet, for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources, inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. That is an avalanche of historical data. So you put all that together, and you have a really good case for Easter. Love that. Here, here is the difference with Martha. Did she believe that God would grant him anything? She, she did. Did she believe that he was a miracle-working God? She did. She did. But what made the difference is Jesus do you believe this? Asking her, do you believe in me? You see, for me, I was raised in church. We went to Sunday school. You know, as a, as a family, we'd always go Easter, right? Easter, and we'd be dressed up. I had my little trench coat, suit on, my little fedora. I was styling, right? You know, we, we would we would do the church thing, but for me, it was a church thing on Sunday. And it's not that I didn't believe in the resurrection or the stories of Jesus when we would talk about them, but it wasn't personal. You see, what Jesus does is he has a personal encounter with Martha. And what I love about Jesus is all these personal encounters he has with people. Because he wants to reveal himself as a real person, not some figure that lived 2,000 years ago that is completely irrelevant to what we're going through today. Jesus says, I want to have that personal encounter with you. So we, we have the evidence that corroborates that Jesus is who he says he is, but we can't stop there. Jesus says, you just can't just believe in some story or an event or just say, oh yeah, I believe in the resurrection. If it hasn't transformed you, then it hasn't been made real. Jesus wants to transform your heart, that he and he alone is the resurrection and the life. Jesus wanted Martha to believe that he holds life in his hands and that whoever trusts him will live eternally. 
And so her response is everything. She puts her faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as the Son of God. Not him and a bunch of other people, but he and he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And I love what I love about her response is when she does it. She does it before the miracle of her brother being raised from the dead. Listen, if you're waiting for God just to hit you in the head or look for the cloud formations like, serve me, or if you're looking for your Cheerios to spell out, I am God, Jesus, follow me. I mean, if you're looking, you're probably not going to find it, right? Jesus says, do you trust me? Do you believe in me? And I will transform your heart. I will forgive you of your sins. I will cover you. I've, I've done that all for you. But, but, but have you put your trust in me? Jesus tells Martha to believe in him, not some future event. Do you believe me? She did believe in the future event, but he says, do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? He didn't say, wait until I raise your brother from the dead. He said, do you believe in me? See, it's a personal trust and a faith in him, not a head knowledge of some future event. So my question to you is, has the resurrection transformed you? If it has, the resurrection gives us hope for today and to traverse through all the things we're going through in our life today and a hope for tomorrow that we will be changed, that because of Christ, we will be changed. And we'll have bodies that are no longer mortal, but will take on immortality So my question to you here this morning is, where have you put your trust? You don't have to live too many years to realize that this world is going to let you down. Can I get an amen? (laughs) We realize that things can change so, so quickly. And we live in such a topsy-turvy world. And we can't put our trust in this world. And my prayer for you is, if you thought about your eternity. Jesus has done everything for you to prepare for your eternity. What are you trusting today? And some of you, those you're watching online, some of you that are coming today, maybe you're just confused and you're just like, man, I, I, I'm just kind of just meandering through this world. And um, I really don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I want you to know that Jesus wants to show you the way. And for me as a 16-year-old knuckle-headed teenager, when I heard what Christ did for me, and I just put my trust in him, and he transformed my heart, it doesn't mean life is not, it doesn't mean that life is easy or everything works out our way. But Christ will, he will walk with you through all of that. And what he will do is he'll give you a hope that sees beyond what we see here. Where is your hope today? Jesus is our only hope if we truly want to have eternal life. And the resurrection shows that he indeed is who he says he is. So we want to help you in your walk. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a a profession of faith in Christ. You say, well, I was brought up in church, but I really never, it's kind of a religious thing, but I never really put my trust in Christ. The Bible tells us to do that, that, that we confess and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. He wants you to take that step towards him. He's done everything for you, but he wants you to take that step just like he asked Martha, do you believe this? 
And the question Jesus asks you this morning, do you believe this? And Jesus says, anyone who puts their trust in me, I will no wise cast out. Aren't you glad he doesn't look for our resume and what we've done in our past? Whew. Thank you, Jesus, right? He receives us because he paid the penalty for our sin. So he receives you just as you are. So we want to help you in that decision. We have a prayer response card in the back of your seats. And I want to pray for you and, and just implore you to take that step of faith. And if you, I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. If you take that step of faith this morning, I just want you to take out that card and just say, I took a step of faith to follow Jesus today. And we want to help you in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're here and you just kind of have some doubts and you say, Pastor Barton, I just have some doubts. And would you help me with my doubts? We want to be here to help you with your doubts. Maybe you're here and you just have, maybe you just feel hopeless today and you just need prayer. Fill that out so we can pray with you and, and help you bear that burden and allow Christ to help you in your life. So we, listen, we love you. We care about you. I love you. I care about you. I don't want you to feel alone in this world. And the best gift that I could ever give you is Jesus. He's a perfect Savior. And he loves you and he gave his life for you personally. Not just to believe in some story that happened 2,000 years ago. He gave his life for you personally. He knows all your hurts, all your pains, all your past, all your sins. And he still loves us. That's a perfect Savior. And he says, just come to me. And give those things to me and allow me to give you a new life. Allow me to restore you. Allow me to redeem you. That's the hope that we see in the empty tomb, that God makes all things new. Amen? Amen? Well, let me pray for you and, uh, and just ask God to help you today. Would you bow your hearts with me as we just pray? Father God, we just come before you today, and I pray for every heart in this room today, those that are watching online. Jesus, you you asked the question, do you believe this? And you're, you're asking us to, to believe in you today. And I pray for everyone here, those watching online, if, they, if they've not taken that step of believing in you and trusting you with their life, Lord, I pray that they would do that at this moment, Lord, when we confess you and we believe in you and we trust you that you died for our sins, that you are... God, that you are Lord, that you are the only way. What you do is you come inside of us. You give us your Holy Spirit. You're the one that transforms our lives. So I pray that for every person who's watching or sitting here today, that they would take that step to trust you, God. And I thank you that you will receive us and you will forgive us and you will transform our hearts. So Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray for those that are just doubting today and just struggling with their life and about eternity. I pray, Lord, that they would not stop seeking you and that, Lord, you would reveal yourself to them in a real way. I pray for those who have heavy burdens that have come into this place or watching online. I pray, Lord, that they would give those things to you, that you're our burden bearer, that you do care about our lives. So we pray for those with just heavy burdens today. We thank you, Jesus, that you indeed are alive today, that you care for us. Thank you that you are a personal Savior. And you're perfect in every way. So I pray that you would meet these needs. And for those, Lord, who have called on your name, who have trusted you with their life, I pray that they would never forget this moment. That you change them. So thank you, Jesus, for never giving up on us. You're a perfect Savior. We love you. We thank you. 
And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Can we thank the Lord? We have so much to be thankful for today. Amen.